The uh, passage tonight is a long one. I promise uh, I'm not going to verse by verse it, but uh, it's the full chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, and I want us to, we'll, we'll see most of it again as I talk tonight, but uh, I want us to hear the whole thing as it was written first, and so I asked Thomas to read that for us. Now let me turn to some issues about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. There's much you need to learn. Remember the way you used to live when you were pagans apart from God? You were engrossed, enchanted with voiceless idols, led astray by mere images carved by human hands. With that in mind, I want you to understand that no one saying Jesus is cursed is operating under God's Spirit, and no one confessing Jesus is Lord can do so without the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Now, there are many kinds of grace gifts, but they are all from the same Spirit. There are many different ways to serve, but they're all directed by the same Lord. There are many amazing working gifts in the church, but it is the same God who energizes them all and all who have the gifts. Each believer has received a gift that manifests the Spirit's power and presence. That gift is given for the good of the whole community. The Spirit gives one person a word of wisdom, but to the next person, the same Spirit gives a word of knowledge. Another will receive the gift of faith by the same Spirit, and still another gifts of healing, all from the one Spirit. One person is enabled by the Spirit to perform miracles, another to prophesy, while another is enabled to distinguish those prophetic spirits. The next one speaks in various kinds of unknown languages, while another is able to interpret those languages. One Spirit works all these things and each of them individually as he sees fit. Just as a body is one whole made up of many different parts, and all the different parts comprise the one body, so it is with the anointed one. We were all ceremonially washed through baptism together into one body by one spirit. No matter our heritage, Jew or Greek, insider or outsider, no matter our status, oppressed or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Here's what I mean. The body is not made of one large part, but of many different parts. Would it seem right for the foot to cry, I am not a hand, so I couldn't be part of this body? Even if it did, it wouldn't be any less joined to the body. And what about an ear? If an ear started to whine, I am not an eye, I shouldn't be attached to this body. In all its pouting, it is still part of the body. Imagine the entire body as an eye. How would a giant eye be able to hear? And if the entire body were an ear, how would an ear be able to smell? This is where God comes in. God has meticulously put this body together. He placed each part in the exact place to perform the exact function he wanted. If all members were a single part, where would the body be? So now, many members function within the one body. The eye cannot wail at the hand, I have no need for you. Nor could the head bellow at the feet, I won't go one more step with you. It's actually the opposite. The members who seem to have the weaker functions are necessary to keep the body moving. The body parts that seem less important we treat as some of the most valuable. And those unfit, untamed, unpresentable members we treat with an even greater modesty. That's something the more presentable members don't need. But God designed the body in such a way that greater significance is given to the seemingly insignificant part. That way, there should be no division in the body. Instead, all the parts mutually depend on and care for one another. If one part is suffering, then all the members suffer alongside it. If one member is honored, then all the members celebrate alongside it. 
You are the body of the anointed, the liberating king. Each and every one of you is a vital member. God has appointed gifts in the assembly. First, emissaries. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracle workers. Healers, helpers, administrators. And then, those who speak with various unknown languages. Are all members gifted as emissaries? Are all gifted with prophetic utterance? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Or are all gifted in healing arts? Do all speak or interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Pursue the greater gifts. And let me tell you of a more excellent way. Love. Thanks, Thomas. So one of the things that is really amazing to me on a consistent basis is any situation where a a bunch of what seem to be very different parts come together to create something that makes sense, whether it makes sense to your ears, to your eyes, to your mind, whatever. A couple of examples of this, uh, Aiden and I went and saw Avengers Infinity War. Don't worry, I'm not going to give anything away for those of you fleeing the room. Um, On Friday, and this is, I can't remember what we decided, the 18th movie in the Marvel Cinematic, Cinematic Universe in the last 10 years. I'm pretty sure somebody in here knows the answer to that question, uh, whether they're going to admit it out loud or not. But I, I think this is the 18th movie, and if you don't follow along with this world, they've created these, not only a bunch of individual sort of superhero characters, but several different sort of spaces that they all operate in, some of them on Earth, some of them in outer space, some of them in dimensions that I couldn't begin to explain to you um, tonight. But what they have done is slowly, uh, both in the, in the course of the movies as they've built to this point, um, and in these little uh, stinger after scenes that you get in the credits, they've slowly begun to overlap some of those universes, and it all begins to sort of come to a head in this particular movie. And I'm a, I'm a movie guy, and I've seen this kind of thing attempted before, and it's usually a mess. And it usually doesn't make sense, and the stories don't usually fit together, and the characters don't really work together, and if they try to be funny when they meet outer space people, meet earth people, and they try to make jokes, and it's not usually funny, and this, they have just hit on all cylinders as they've done this. And it's just an amazing sort of, create. whether you like superhero movies or not, it's a sort of amazing creative enterprise to me. I experience it in music on, on the regular. Uh, I don't play uh, I quit reading music when I was a kid, and so I am a real amateur in that category. But I'm always amazed at these pieces of music that will take different, whether it's a symphony that takes all these different sections of instruments and all these unique individual instruments and individual parts, and they're somehow written to come together and it all fits and it all makes sense. Every time, every year, we go and see Behold the Lamb of God, this concert. And Behold the Lamb of God is an album of songs about the birth of Christ, but it's a sort of historical approach to this where you, it begins in the Old Testament, and the first several songs are sort of the story of God's people wandering and God trying to redeem them and bring them back, and it builds, of course, the birth of Christ. But at the end of this, there's a song where they layer basically all the songs that existed uh, that you heard prior to that together and it's awesome and you would think it would be discordant and awful and terrible but it works and you hear the music and you hear the lyrics of the full story 
of the coming of Christ sort of layered over each other. These kinds of things, you may think, no big deal. Uh, These kinds of things always amaze me. And this is the story, I think, that Paul is giving us in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about how the church is supposed to work together with all of these different people who come from different backgrounds, who have different stories, who have different gifts, who have different weaknesses, and are meant to create something almost perfect. It is creating, in God's way, in this time, in this space, the body of Christ. And... Somehow, by the power of the Spirit, all of us, individually gifted and broken, come together, and we're exactly what God wants the church to be. Uh, That is his intent all along. So what I want us to do is look at this passage, and uh, I wanted you to read it in order because I'm going to kind of pull some verses out to make some particular points. I read through the passage several times this week and just sort of kept taking notes and kind of whittled down to what I think are six really key important things that Paul has to say about the church. I'm going to tell you what all six of them are to start, and then we'll walk through each one of them, look at where that's coming from in the passage, and talk about uh, the application of that for us, all right? So I don't, all, my brain doesn't always work this way, but this is when we're taking on a big, long passage like this, this is the easiest way to do it. So let me read through these, and then we'll come back through them one at a time. The Lord is the giver and director of our gifts, our role in the church. Your gifts are for the good of the body. It's not about you. You are an essential member of the church body. You should believe that, really believe that. He or she is an essential member of the church body, and that he or she is anybody who's in the church body. You should really believe that. We are meant to live as one body in joy and in suffering. And then last, this is all held together by love, okay? So let's walk through these one at a time and look at what Paul has to say and and how I think it works itself out in the life of the church. And the first one of these is that the Lord is the giver and director of our gifts, our role in the church. And Paul really begins here, and I think it's important for us to begin here, and I think it's important for us to remember this through each point and through each moment in the life of the church, that we are not here primarily to figure this out ourselves, to make it all work, to figure out how I can best fit in the church or, or how the church can best take care of me, but this is the Lord's work. At all times, the Lord is conscious of what's going on in the church. It's been his plan all along. He's always engaged. He's always by the Spirit giving us what we need. And he's, he, he is the giver of our gifts. One of the ways he gives us what, what we need, as this passage is going to make very, very clear, is through gifting the individual members of the body for the sake of the body. He's the one that gives those gifts. These are not things that we conjure up ourselves or that we sort of train ourselves into. These are gifts given by the Lord and uh, he directs those gifts. He's the one who points us in the right direction with those. Let's just look at part of what Paul has to say about this, starting in verse 4. Now, there are many kinds of grace gifts, but they're all from the same Spirit. One thing you notice as we go through this passage is that there's a sort of Trinitarian thing that Paul does here. He says Spirit, he says Lord, and he says God. They are all from the same Spirit. There are many, dif- there are many different ways to serve, but they're all directed by the same Lord. There are many amazing working gifts in the church, but it is the same God who energizes them all in all, who energizes them all in all who have the gifts. And then in verse seven, 
Uh, we'll skip around a little bit here in a minute, but each believer has received a gift that manifests the Spirit's power and presence. That gift is given for the good of the whole community. One Spirit, uh, let me stop and say, um, in between verse 7 and verse 11, uh, there is the first time in this passage that Paul starts talking about specific gifts. There's absolutely no way uh, in one sermon to start taking on those specific gifts and talking about each one of those. That's a good thing for us to continue talking about and working through in the church, and I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit as we go. But between verse 7 and verse 11, he, lifts, he lists out a bunch of gifts, and then he says, One spirit works all these things, all these different gifts, in each of them individually as he sees fit. The Lord is doing what he sees fit in us with our gifts. And then um, in verse 18, the, the, the verses I'm skipping here are where Paul says, if the entire body was an eye, how would the body hear? If the entire body was an ear, how would the body smell? And then he says in verse 18, this is where God comes in. God has meticulously put this body together. He placed each part in the exact place to perform the exact function he wanted. And then in verse 27, you are the body of the anointed the liberating king, each and every one of you is a vital member. The point here and the point to remember as we start talking about our gifts where it gets really easy for the focus to turn to me and to you and to us, the point is that we remember that this is all about Jesus and his body. This is not uh, primarily for our edification. This is not primarily for me to figure out who I am. This is about for me to figure out how God has designed me to be a member of building the body of Christ. So everything has to be pointed at and defined by and directed by Jesus at every turn. This is not for my, about my preferences. Giftings are not about me figuring out what do I prefer or what do I enjoy or what am I even, what am I good at? We'll get into that in a minute. The giftings are about God directing in us these gifts which build up the body of Christ, uh, which point us and the world to Jesus. So for this to, to work, for this to be true for us, we have to stay consistently plugged into the Spirit to lift out, live, live out our gifts. And I think it's important, and you'll notice in Paul's language as we go, that it's not just a one-time thing where you take a spiritual gifts test and you go, okay, these are my gifts, I'm good, now I just gotta figure out how to live them out in the life of the church. The Spirit is gonna constantly be directing you. Number one, if you've only taken a spiritual gifts test one time and you decided that's definitely it, I would encourage you to, to engage the body of Christ in conversation about your gifts because those things can be useful, but uh, they shouldn't, the test shouldn't be the one directing us. The spirit should be the one, and the scripture should be the one directing us. Um, but we have to consistently put Jesus in front of us. He has to consistently be in plain view for us not just as the object of our worship when we show up on Sundays, but as the source of who we are, uh, including our gifts. There has to be, there needs to be a really clear understanding from us, for us, about those gifts coming from Jesus for the sake of building up his body. And we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again that we are what he makes us, and we go where he directs us for the sake of his body, okay? 
Second point here is this. Your gifts are for the good of the body. It's not about you. This is uh, one of the spaces where I want to spend the most time tonight because I think, not because I think we in this particular community have a particular problem, but because I think Christianity, as most of us have experienced it in our lifetimes, have taken this conversation about gifts and have changed it in some significant ways from what Paul, I think, very, very clearly says here. In verse 7, he's explicit about this. Each believer has received a gift that manifests the Spirit's power and presence. That gift is given for the good of the whole community. There's two really powerful statements here that should define this whole conversation for us. The first is... Every one of us has a gift, and I'll talk about that in a minute too, but every one of us has a gift or gifts from the Spirit. Those gifts, the ones that are from God, manifest the Spirit's power and the Spirit's presence. They do not manifest my power and my presence. I'm not given a gift to highlight my strengths. I'm not given a gift to impress anyone. I'm not given a gift to have more presence for me or more power for me in the life of the church. The gifts exist, every single one of them, for the spirit to manifest its power, for the spirit to manifest its presence. It's not about me. And then the second thing that he says very plainly here is that this gift is given for the good of the whole community. We, I think, Many of us, just by default, because of the way that we've talked about this and the way that we've experienced this in the church, because we live in an age and we live in a country and a culture that is big on individualism and us sort of figuring out who we are and expressing ourselves, I think many of us, by default, tend to think of when you hear the word, I've been given a gift, that it's primarily for me. But Paul says explicitly that whatever spiritual gifts I have been given are given for you, not for me. They've been given for the good of the whole community. Spiritual gifts are given to the church. They're not given to me. My gifts are not given to me. They're given to the church through me. And there's a difference in that. Moving down in verse 12, Paul says, just as a body is one whole made up of many different parts, and all the different parts comprise the one body, so it is with the anointed one. Your gifting is not primarily about you or your preferences. It's primarily about the way that God intends to work in you and through you in bringing together the body of Jesus and enabling it to thrive. The main purpose of gifting is not for your individual good. It is for the good of the church. Now, Don't cut off with that sentence and not hear the rest of this because I don't think this is bad news for us. I think we have, uh, unfortunately, this dualistic thinking that when you hear a sentence like, hey, this gift is not given primarily for your good. It's primarily for the good of people around you, through you. And we think, well, that's bad news for me. God doesn't really see me or value me or care about me. He's just trying to hoist upon me some gifts Uh, for the rest of the people. But the bottom line is you're a member of the body and if the body doesn't thrive, you don't thrive. And God is giving the church the whole body gifts to make the whole body healthy so that the individual members will be healthy. 
And you can take all that gift you want for yourself and say, I, I, I'm going to see this primarily as God's gift to me and God working in me and God helping me figure out who I am. But if the whole body isn't thriving and you're the hand, it doesn't matter how, hard, how, how strong the hand is if the body isn't healthy. Verse 18, Paul writes, this is where God comes in. God has meticulously put this body together with all these different gifts. He placed each part in the exact place to perform the exact function he wanted. And 25 says, that way there should be no division in the body. Instead, all the parts mutually depend on and care for one another. Your gifts, when they're given to you by the Lord, by the Spirit, are not meant to set you apart in the church, to make you stand out. They're meant for, to flow into the stream of the whole. So this is what I think all of this means for us uh, at, a, at a sort of practical level in the church. I think we have to regularly ask if our posture toward our role in the church, if our evaluation of our gifts is about me, is about us, or is about serving the church. And the church is not an organization, it is not an institution, it is not different people in leadership positions, it is the people. It is every person, every soul who's a part of the body of Christ. So we have to constantly ask, am I thinking about my gifts in terms of me and what I need and what I want, or am I thinking about my gifts in terms of what the body needs and how I can serve the body? And what are the current actual needs of the body? And I don't think that God gives us gifts and then takes them away, but I think that the body is a living organism and the body's needs fluctuate and change. And there are some things that the body needs all the time. And there are some things that we need to have the presence of mind and be dialed into the life of the body enough to know that ah, I'm, I actually think I'm gifted in this area and this is what the church really needs right now. So while I've been able to kind of hang back and not push in with that in the past, it might be time for me to step up and to step in in this way. This, as I said, I think is an area that the church has, has somehow become particularly individualistic about. Um, and um, Paul couldn't be clearer that my gifts are given to me at the Lord's discretion for you not for me. And they're not for my satisfaction. They're not my, for my fulfillment. They're not for my happiness. Are those things a byproduct of me living into, embracing the gifts that the Lord has given me and living into them in the body? Uh, my answer to that is sometimes. <laughs> and I would love to say, and I think if we were sinless, unflawed people, the answer to that question might be, yeah, always. That when we take hold of the gifts that the Lord has given to us and we live them out in the way that he intends in the life of the church, that it always leads to real joy and fulfillment for us. The reality is um, that I'm broken. And so even if I take hold of those things, I might get frustrated that this is the gift. This is the thing the body needs and it needs to come through me. That might frustrate me at times. I might find that the body, though it needs certain gifts, doesn't always receive them as God intends. That will be frustrating at times. So I do think there is joy in life in us embracing gifts as God has given to them and living them out in the church. But it won't be perfect, just like most of our experience isn't perfect. And again, I think, if we, I think that we will really thrive individually 
as members of the body who understand our role in serving the body more than we ever will, I think if, if we approach it that way, if, if I understand my gifting as for the church, I will thrive more than I ever will if I'm looking for self-actualization or stardom in who I am, or if you're not somebody that's looking for stardom, um, if, if you're looking to, to sort of um, just be comfortable and find your sort of quiet place to serve, that may not always be what the Lord is calling you to do or gifting you to do. And I think we'll thrive a lot more if we'll embrace what he intends instead of seeing it and embrace that he intends it for the good of the church instead of seeing it as being primarily about me. Uh, so I do think we will find, ultimately find joy and fulfillment in using our gifts. The caveats are this, my three caveats. Sometimes uh, using our gifts will be work. And sometimes it will be sacrifice as much or more than it is happiness, especially on the front end. That's a reality that I think we should be honest about. I also think it's true uh, that when we start living into our gifts and we embrace that, when the Lord is working through us in that way, we will find a joy, uh, ultimately find a joy in living that way that will be different than the kind of joy that we might find um, if, if uh, we're just trying to make ourselves happy, if we're just trying to play to our strengths, I think um, we'll discover a sort of selfless kind of love as we live this way and we'll let our gifting serve others. I think that will lead to a different kind of joy and a deeper kind of joy than the happiness that we would find in just sort of living into our strengths and preferences which is the easiest thing for us to do. And third, third thing I would say about that, and then we'll move on, is that what most obviously makes me happy or what I am most obviously strong, like is, is easiest for me should not be the guide, for the primary guide for me determining how I'm gifted or how I serve the body. The guide for us is asking the Lord how have you gifted me? How do you intend to work through me in the body? And the way that we work that out is certainly through prayer, through the scriptures, through all the ways that we have individual access to the Lord and to the Spirit, but also by asking the body, how do you see the, world, the, the Lord working in me? What gifts do you think he's given me that could serve you, could serve the greater body? I think it's, it's fairly common for us to decide how we want to serve or how it's easiest for us to serve and then project that, well, that I can come up with ways that that'll be beneficial to other people. And I think that uh, it's wise for us to consistently ask the body, does this serve you or the greater body? And does it seem like what the, what the Lord has gifted me to do, who the Lord has gifted me to be? And if not, walk with me and help me figure this out, okay? Next is this, you are an essential member of the church body. We're, you'll see we're treading back over some of these passages, uh, some of these verses, because they communicate these points in, in strong ways. Each believer has received a gift that manifests the Spirit's power and presence. That gift is given for the good of the whole community. Everyone, every one of you has been given a gift it makes you important and essential, if you look at Paul's language through this chapter, essential to the health of the community. 
One spirit works all these things in each of them individually as he sees fit. And then moving down to verse 14, Paul writes, Here's what I mean. The body is not made of one large part, but of many different parts. Would it seem right for the foot to cry, I'm not a hand, so I couldn't be part of this body. Even if it did, it wouldn't be any less joined to the body. And what about an ear? If an ear started to whine, I'm not an eye, I shouldn't be attached to this body. In all its pouting, it is still part of the body. Imagine the entire body as an eye. How would a giant eye be able to hear? And if the entire body were an ear, how would an ear be able to smell? This is where God comes in. God has meticulously put this body together. He placed each part in the exact place to perform the exact function he wanted. If all members were a single part, where would the body be? So now many members function within the one body. Don't assume that you have nothing to offer. Don't assume that you're less spiritual or that you don't have gifts. There, there is maturity in our gifting, but everyone who has the Spirit, everyone who has believed is given gifts by the Spirit. We all stand on equal ground in that way. So don't assume you have nothing. Don't withhold yourself. Believe, uh, don't believe that just your basic skill set, as you know it in your job or in, at home, is all that you have to offer. Don't assume that that's the main thing here. But believe that the Spirit has gifted you and will continue to grow gifts in you for the sake of the body. Nobody has all the gifts. There's never anybody who can do it all, who has everything that the church needs. God has designed it that way on purpose. You have something important for the life of the body. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to spend time uh, talking about sort of the differences between skills and gifts and capacities and all of those things. Uh, it's easy for us to lean into what we know we're skilled at or what we love to do and just sort of try to find a gifting in that space. And often those things overlap, uh, whether it's because, whether we're starting with the gifting or whether we're starting with the skill and we discover that the Spirit has gifted us in that way. These things often intersect, and whether or not you're gifted in a certain way, if you have certain skills, those skills can obviously be used to serve the body, but they're not necessarily always the same thing. Uh, it's also important to note, as Paul, in a few different ways in this passage and then at multiple other points, lists different giftings and different offices in the church, his list is never the same twice. As many times as he does it, there is variation in his lists. And I think that's on purpose. I think he's not trying to give us a prescriptive list of this is the totality of all the gifts that the Spirit gives or, um, or all of the ways that people are meant to serve the church. I think he's, he's trying to give us a picture of the diversity of the members of the church and that there are some fixed points. There are some things that are essential to the life of the church. Okay, there's a couple other thoughts on, on this particular point about you having things uh, that the church needs. Don't assume that there's any version of church life where you just show up to receive. That's, that's not, you are gifted. There may be seasons where you don't have a lot to offer for one reason or another, but you are gifted for the church. You're not just here to take. Don't believe that there's any long-term biblical version of church life where you're just a casual or an occasional partaker in what's happening in the church. And this is the simplest way I know to put this. If you're tempted to think, well, 
you know, I'm just, I can kind of come and go in church. I'm not that essential. You're an I. Paul says you're an I. And if you're an I in this body and you're not here, our vision is impaired. You're a hand. When you're not around, our ability to grasp and to do what we're meant to do is limited. And so on and so on. There is no biblical version of church life where you just sort of casually stand at a distance and come and go. Your presence is essential. All right. She or he is an essential member of the church body. And as I said, I'm talking about whoever's here. Once again, verse 7 says, each believer has received a gift. Each believer has received a gift, and that gift is for the good of the whole community. One spirit works all these things in each of them individually as he sees fit. Verse 12 says, just as a body is one whole made up of many different parts, and all the different parts comprise the one body, so it is with the anointed one. We were all ceremonial, ceremonially washed through the baptism together into one body by one spirit. No matter our heritage, Jew or Greek, insider or outsider, no matter our status, oppressed or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Here's what I mean. The body is not made up of one large part, but of many different parts. The eye cannot wail at the hand. Paul first, pause just for a second here and say, Paul first addressed those of us who tend to say, I'm not that important. I'm not an essential part of the body. Now he circles back and addresses those of us who tend to look at other parts and go, not that important. The eye cannot wail at the hand, I have no need for you. Nor could the head bellow at the feet, I won't go one more step with you. It's actually the opposite. The members who seem to have the weaker functions are necessary to keep the body moving. The body parts that seem less important, we treat as some of the most valuable. And those unfit, untamed, unpresentable members, we treat with an even greater modesty. That's something the more presentable members don't need. But God designed the body in such a way that greater significance is given to the seemingly insignificant part. That way there should be no division in the body. Instead, all the parts mutually depend on and care for one another. I'm just going to run through a f several ways that I think we can apply this and understand what this means for our life together as we look at other members of the body and understand their significance. The obvious direction here is that we're to find ways to value and appreciate one another. More specifically, I think Paul addresses several specific things. One of them is we're to reject the world's prejudices about race and socioeconomic status or success by human standards and within the life of the church as it exists now. I think he's saying don't measure people by these measuring sticks of spiritual significance or success that, that have crept into the church from the world. That is not the way that God measures success. It, the same way that the world does, but that's the way the church has taken on measuring success. And he's saying, reject all of those pre prejudices and human standards. The spirit is what matters here. And, and I think he's saying, find ways to go to those who seem less significant or who have been harmed or excluded or left out and, and say to them, the spirit's in you the same way the spirit is in everyone else. You matter. I think he's telling us to deal with conflicts, the ways that we get frustrated, the ways that we feel hurt, but not to dwell on them because the church is not primarily about my happiness. 
It is about the presence of Jesus that is unique among every single one of his people. All of us are a part of that. I think he's telling us not to be jealous when someone is living into or thriving in their gifting, that we're supposed to rejoice and listen because it's for your good. If the gifts are from the Spirit through individual members of the body for the church, someone else thriving in their gifting is for your good. Embrace it. Rejoice with them. He's telling us not to elbow each other out of the way so that we can get our spot or our moment in the spotlight. It's not about you. It's about the good of the body of Christ. And that means part of your role is to find others, help others find and use their gifts, not to compete with them or to feel a spirit of competition. And I think he's saying, don't assume your gift, no matter how important, is more important than someone else's because it isn't ever. Your gifts are never more important than someone else's. My gifts are never more important than someone else's. No one's giftings are more important. They're all essential. Next point, we're meant to live as one body in joy and in suffering. Paul has just said this little thing that he said about the, the more significant and the less significant parts and that God has often chosen what we think are less significant parts or giftings and made them most important. And then he writes this. That way there should be no division in the body. Instead, all the parts mutually depend on and care for one another. If one part is suffering, then all the members suffer alongside it. If one member is honored, then all the members celebrate alongside it. You are the body of the anointed, the liberating king. Each and every one of you is a vital member. This is not a sort of casual connection between people that Paul is describing. When he uses the word member here, it's not, a, it's not mechanical. It's not official. It's not about you signing a card. It's about a deep connection woven by the spirit among God's people. It's about deep life as members of the body of Jesus together. And it's meant to suggest that this isn't supposed, something we're supposed to float in and out of casually. It's a deep abiding commitment that matters between us and that isn't easily severed. And that's illustrated in these words about suffering together and rejoicing together. When one part suffers, Paul says, all parts feel it. It affects all parts. I have a rib right here on the left side of my chest uh, that, that gets out of place. It, it kind of comes up at my sternum and it's as unpleasant as it sounds. It took me a while to be sure I wasn't having like heart attack. It's that kind of like difficult pain. Um, when it gets bad, I suffer all over. I can't think straight. I can't be comfortable. I can't be happy. I can't be pleasant with my family. When one, that part of me, it's just this one little rib that's probably moving like a tenth of an inch out of place. But I feel it everywhere. And everybody around me ultimately feels it as well. And that's the kind of life that Paul is talking about. When one of you is suffering, I should feel it. We should feel it together. We're supposed to be connected in a way that we feel it when one of us suffers. And that we feel it when one of us is rejoicing. We have to be present for one another. We can't be embittered by one another's experience, whether it's growing weary of walking with those who are suffering or growing jealous or bitter at the honor and celebration that others are experiencing that we're not. We're intended 
to join one another, to seek to join one another in our experiences. We're human. This will be incomplete. It will be imperfect. We'll all feel unnoticed or overlooked or not celebrated or not suffered with at times. And if you feel those things, you have to talk about it and let the body respond. But we're meant to be connected in that way. Last thing, this is all held together by love. Paul says in verse 31, pursue the greater gifts. All these gifts I've talked about, pursue them. And let me tell you a more excellent way, love. And then he breaks into 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to grow in the area of spiritual gifts and the life of the church, give attention to, to asking the Lord how he's gifted you. Ask the body to participate in that. But more than anything, more than you're trying to hone or identify your gifts, grow in love. If you excel, Paul says, in this more excellent way, I think the rest comes together. The understanding of how my gifts are supposed to fit in the body comes together. Let's pray.